It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. This is what I would say is one of the most key and critical dimensions of my entire Christian life. I would say how God planted it in me was very strategic and how it flowed out affects so much of what I do. And so if you read all our books, if you hear all my teachings, you're going to see this as a core, as a, as a root thought behind things. So see, I'm trying to intrigue you. I mean, this is, this is so significant to me. But it's very, very precious, and even the memories behind it are very uh, near and dear. But I've always called it the endless frontier, and there's a reason for that. And maybe you guys uh, in this semester had some kind of uh, framework that was given, like uh, Nathan or Philip said, and and endless frontier. I'm not sure how it came out. But as, you know, for the last 10 years of Ellerslie, it's been part of how we reason, how we uh, function. But uh, for those of you that weren't here this semester or streaming or or getting this via podcast, this could be completely new, and uh, I hope it greatly impacts your life. I have a subtitle, Preparing for the Spiritual Olympics. I don't don't know that I really like my subtitle, but it's it's still good, and that is it plays into this mentality. And that is, uh, it's like you could be a a runner, and you can be a good runner. And there's a difference between just being a good runner and being an Olympic runner. And what's the difference? You know, because you could say, oh, I'm a good runner. And people could pat you on the back and say, you're a good runner. And then you could even run in high school, okay? And people could say, you're a good runner. And you could win, uh, you know, a few uh, track and field events. And, and, and you could accomplish some things and get some applause. But there's still a difference between that, a high school runner and an Olympic runner. <clears throat> and I could, <clears throat> so sorry, guys. <clears throat> I had this problem before I started, too. I was drinking some, some of my Eric water. Have you guys seen my Eric water back there? Special reserve brand for Eric. It's obviously not helping right now. But there's a difference between a high school runner and an Olympic runner. And I could, again, ask, what is, what is the difference? It has to do with the mentality to say, okay, I've been given something, but I want to cultivate it to its fullest extent. What are the possibilities? How far can I take this? Now, in physical exercise, the highest you could take something is like the Olympics. And that's why I'm using that as a symbol. But when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to the, the intimate matters of our soul that we've been given, we've been given a trust of grace. The question is, how far will you take it? In other words, some of you could just be a good runner or a good Christian. And some of you might aim higher. And that's what I want to nudge at. I want to say, now, you've been given something. What are you going to do with it? Well, you know, I'm using it more than anyone else I know. And that could be true. You know, most people don't run in high school track, and you do. And so you're utilizing, I'm so sorry, guys. <clears throat> I have no idea what's going on, and I've had all sorts of throat problems, right? But this is a new one. This is a new fangled one. But there, there are all sorts of people that have a gift, but they use it at level one. And they exercise, and people pat them on the back and say, that's really good. But very, very few. In fact, I would say it's such a small percentage that it hardly even is a blip on the map ever take their Christianity and the grace that they've been given and exercise it at the fullest extent that God intended. That's what I'm interested in. 
I'm interested in passing along that vision to you. It's like, hey, we cannot stop here. Let's go further. Let's go onward. Let's go upward. So uh, there's a legendary character in my life named Dr. Scott. And if I was going to give you even some background for Dr. Scott, I, I remember I was, uh, I was in the, on the, the mission field, and I was praying about what was next for me. And I really felt a burden to learn how to sing. And so it was, it was like a, a deep desire, and I don't even know where it came from. I wanted to worship God, and so I wanted to learn how to sing. So I set that before God. It was a prayer, a very specific prayer. God, could you teach me how to sing? Could you, you know, I, it, it's not that I didn't sing. My, my family always sang. You know, growing up, my mom is, was, uh, would always be one of those women that got up and sang for the church. And so it's like it was in our, in our DNA in the Ludi home to sing, but I don't mean just sing. I mean sing, like really be able to sing. And uh, so I, it's, it's a hard thing to communicate God communicating with, with us, you know, because everyone has different viewpoints on it. It's like, well, I don't know that God actually speaks. And so I don't really want to make commentary on that. I'm just going to tell you the story, right? And I'm going to say that I felt like God spoke to me and that God said, I'm going to teach you how to sing and I have a man of great gifting and great ability that I'm going to lead you to. So I actually wrote that down. I wrote it down in my journal and I would stare at it. And I was like, okay, God, I don't know if that's from you, but that's like, I actually felt like I heard you say that to me. Okay, which leads to some tension of soul if you're not used to that, right? So I have this. I'm like, okay, what do I do with it? So I prayed and I submitted it to God. And I came home from missionary school and I felt like I made a mistake and that is that I told that to my mom. You know, because I didn't, my mom and I are sort of like oil and water. And uh, I didn't, I don't want my mom trying to do for me what God is supposed to do, okay? So once I told my mom that, uh, I remember thinking, ah, should I have said that? And my mom then said, oh, you know what? Uh, Our cleaning lady has a vocal coach, and I, I think we should get in touch with him. And I'm like, what? Our cleaning lady has a vocal coach that... That it, it didn't, it sounded so unepic. okay? It's like God's going to bring me a man of great gifting and great ability, and our cleaning lady's vocal coach, there's no way that could be the guy, okay? That was my thought, and I was so upset about this that my mom was, because she actually called up Carla, our cleaning lady, and was talking, and she's like, sure, I can give you the contact information. It's very difficult to get into. And so my mom then pursues that. And I'm like, Mom, you did, just leave this in God's hands. And she goes, how do you know that my idea is not God? Uh, and I was like, well, because it's your idea. You know, it was, it was just really hard for me. I didn't want my mom to be a part of this. This is like God's grand scheme for my life. And my mom now is involved in it. Oh. So the next thing you know, uh, she sets up, she's like, Eric, could I take you? They said that, you know, we set up uh, an interview and we can go meet with this guy. So I, I'm dragging my feet. I, I'm waiting for the guy of great gifting and great ability uh, that can teach me. And I mean, there's no way that a cleaning lady's vocal coach could ever be that, you know, in my mind. Whatever was going on in my mind, it stunted it. And so I remember I was, I walked in. <coughs> so sorry, guys. <coughs> I walk into the, uh, this music studio, and it was, you know, 45 minutes away, downtown Denver. And, you know, it wasn't a very nice place. And I'm looking around, sort of trying to judge, you know, the vocal coach by the environment. 
And uh, the guy behind the counter looks at me while we were waiting. I was just standing there. I think my mom was using the restroom. And he goes, you trying to get in with Scott? I go, yeah, Scott Martin. He goes, yeah, uh, Dr. Scott has a waiting list. I forgot what it was. It was like of 180 people. So good luck. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, he's one of the most in-demand vocal coaches in the world. Top five. Uh, I go, are you serious? <laughs> he goes, yeah, you don't know who you're talking to, huh? <laughs> so I was like, what, a, what did this guy, my Carla's uh, vocal coach is one of the top five vocal coaches in the world, and that's who my mom just happens to pick randomly? And so, so I come in uh, with Scott, and uh, it's the first time I'd ever met Scott, and he's one of the most eccentric. If you think Yoda, you'd be close, Okay. <laughs> He is, he's like a Yoda, okay? I don't just mean in brilliance, I mean in physical look. <laughs> he's just odd, okay? He's eccentric. He is a master. And so I sit down, and uh, he's, he's looking at me. He's like, so why are you here? I want to learn how to sing. It's okay. How much do you want to learn how to sing? Well, I really want to learn how to sing. So uh, I, I want to be... I want to be good. I want to be like professional level. It's okay. All right. <clears throat> if you want to learn how to sing, I'll take you. But I'm going to ask something. I want you to train six hours a day. So, you know, I walk into this dumpy music studio with zero expectations. Suddenly it's like I have a master sitting in front of me and he's like, you want to be trained? I go, yeah. Six hours. What? Who? This is what I said. This is a bad thing to say in that situation. Well, who has six hours a day to train in singing? Listen to what he said back. Okay, this is going to have a big impact on my life from this day forward in the trajectory, not just of music, because that's not, as you guys know, most people aren't going to think of me as a musician, right? It's not my future course. However, this was important for my future course. Who has six hours a day to give to singing? Those who want to be the best. Oh. <laughs> Six hours. Six hours. So Scott actually took me on. He gave me a spot in his schedule, which I still don't know how I got that. Okay, There would be times when I would be in there training, and he'd be turning down professional singers that were just dropping into town and wanted to come in for a tune-up. And so I remember these names would come in, and someone would come in and go, so-and-so's uh, wanting to know if they can sneak in right now uh, with you. And he goes, nope, I'm busy. And there I am, the one he's busy with. It's like, I feel so uncomfortable right now. Uh, and these were famous singers. I mean, that's so uncomfortable. You know, take them, kick me out. So it was a rare situation. But one of the things about training with Scott is that being a master, he expected something from you. It's like, if I'm going to waste my time on you, I expect that you will give what you're supposed to give on your side, okay? So if I'm going to spend this time, I want you to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. So every week I would come in, he'd want to know my hour count, how many hours of training. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I could not get six hours a day, okay? And this is, I'm a serious, disciplined person, but no matter how hard I tried, if I, had, if I got two hours a day, I was killing myself to do it. And I, that was that's a ton of training, by the way. When you're dealing with vocal training, there's it's like, what can you do? Uh, and so, but it was also physical. He was the Olympic long-distance runner's breathing coach. 
So he would teach you how to breathe. And he, would, he used to teach the Olympic long-distance runners how to breathe because if you breathe uh, correctly, as, as he would say, uh, you would use your lower lung instead of your upper lung. And so, uh, you know, people are always saying sing from down here. But there's actually a lower lung, which most of us don't even think about. It hangs like two unused balloons behind our rib cage because we don't exercise it. So he says, I want you to learn how to bring air into that lower lung. Oh, lower lung. And because when you stretch it out, it has the capacity to be three times larger. So you can actually get three times more oxygen into your body with every breath if you breathe correctly, as Scott would say. And yet when you breathe correctly, you're exactly backwards. So you, you breathe into your stomach and then exhale, which is the exact opposite movement that we're used to. So when you run, he's like, this is how I want you to train. So he trains you like an Olympic athlete. So the amount of sit-ups I had to do the amount of running I had to do, and the whole while I need to be breathing correctly, right? I'm putting quotes around that. And you feel like you need to run backwards because you're breathing backwards. <laughs> and it was, it was an incredible season of my life. But every week I would come in and he'd, he'd ask for a, an hour count. I'd be like, 25. And he'd sort of look at me like, what? 25, and I have a hunch that that was more than any other student that he had, but he still had to act dismayed and disturbed and disgusted with this character named Eric Ludi. He kept me, right? But, and I was just honest. I'd tell him exactly what it was because I wanted to just be honest. I, I, you know, I would be so convicted if I gave him a false number and I had to come back and confess. Remember, this is that whole season of my life where God's like corrected every little thing. I couldn't lie. 25, I got 25 hours. That's a ton, by the way. And so, but I, I got no encouragement from him, not one word of encouragement. So I, I originally thought, okay, if I'm dealing with a master vocal coach, how long would it take to become a professional? Maybe two months. That was, that's what I had in my mind. So we're budgeting. It's like, how much is this going to cost? And so it's like, okay, for two months, I could actually get high level training and then voila, Eric is professional. Well, we passed the two month point. He hadn't even commented. On anything. He's just, in fact, he's just disgusted every time I'm in there. He's looking, he's correcting me. He's like doing all this stuff. He's like, oh, no. And so he, the way he tra- trained me to, uh, to sing, he starts out with uh, basically training you how to handle your, your mouth. And so I had to do what's called the square mouth. And so uh, for those of you via podcast, you're missing the square mouth. But... Uh, <laughs> This is how I had to learn to sing. Uh, and I looked like an idiot, and I sounded a little like Jimmy Stewart. Uh, and so I had to, the reason was I had to la- learn control <coughs> over my lips because you have a built-in EQ system in your, in your voice, and that is your top-level teeth are treble sounds, and your bottom-level teeth are your bass sounds. And so... To be able to control it and add the exact amount. When Leslie and I would start doing duets together, I have more bass in my voice. She has more treble in her voice. So she would cover her bass. And, I'm sorry. She would cover her treble and add bass. And I would cover my bass and add treble. And it would create a perfect harmonics between us. And it was just like totally shocking how much was involved in singing, right? So I was like this. And I... And we had this Easter uh, play. This is about eight months into my training with him. He had never once given me a compliment. And he heard that I was singing at an Easter play, right? And he said, uh, by the way, Eric, 
if you think you're not going to do the square mouth uh, at the Easter play, uh, uh, you will. I will drop you as a student. You will keep doing this until I give you leave. And uh, I'm like, I can't do that in front of an audience. My mom said she will not come if I'm singing like that. He goes, well, I don't care if your mom comes. I'm going to come and make sure you do it. That's how serious this guy was. So it's like, I, I'm killing myself working for him. He's never once given me a compliment. And finally, after about a year of training, I mean, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm becoming desperate. I've been singing so much. I've been training so hard. I have never heard of anyone training like this for singing. In my mind, you just are either a good singer or a bad singer. I mean, that's what some of you are even thinking. Yeah, it's like people can either sing or they can't. What is all this training? That's what I was wondering too. I am killing myself to become a great singer, and yet he has never once said anything that I'm better than a pile of dung, okay? And that's all I had to work from. It's like, okay, I'm trying to get him to say something positive, like, uh, you know, that was well done. Oh, that was good. Hey, you're really coming along there. Nothing. For a year. And so I, I later find out that he doesn't train everyone the same way. He figures out what type of personality they are, and then he trains them accordingly. And he knows I'm a follow-the-carrot type of personality. <laughs> In other words, I'm seeking encouragement, and so he's going to withhold it uh, as I... I mean, it's just mean, don't you think? <laughs> and so, I mean, I saw him training someone else, and I was just thinking, What? I mean, he's like, that was really well done. This is like first day. You can't do that. You can't give them a compliment on the first day. I had to wait years for a compliment. And so I'm chasing this carrot. And so finally I get up the guts to ask the question. Scott, and I bounce a little on my toes. How good am I? He smiles. He goes, oh, you finally got up the guts to ask, huh? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know. And he goes, <clears throat> you played soccer, didn't you? I go, yeah. So, so how old were you when you started playing soccer? Seven. He goes, how good were you uh, when you'd been playing soccer for about one month? I go, I stunk. He goes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what? I, what? He said, but before you get discouraged, I'm thinking, oh, far too late. I'm gone. Before you get discouraged, you need to recognize that singing is an endless frontier. You have taken one step into an endless frontier, and you're asking me how far you've gone. You've gone one step into an endless frontier, and yet you're one step further than 99.999% of the rest of the human race. But never pitch your tent. That one line in my life shook me to the core because I recognized what I was trying to do. I wanted to get to some level and pitch my tent. I wanted to get to some place that I defined as professional. It's like, okay, that's good enough, right? Where's the good enough? And then I can pitch my tent. And what his statement did to me is it totally flipped my world. I'm not looking for a place to pitch my tent. This is an endless frontier. The possibilities are endless of where we can go with this. Imagine if I had been spending a year of training at that intensity, and this is just an endless frontier, and I've only taken one step. How far could you go? It's a good question. That's what I began to ponder. It's like, wait a minute. I have never, ever thought about all that was possible if I actually continued 
if I actually didn't have a tent pitching mentality. Because my tent pitching mentality is just, I mean, it's inerrant to humanity. We want to be just above average. Are we fine? Have we made it yet? Have we satisfied the status quo? Have we done what we're supposed to? We come into Christianity and what do we do? Okay, what do I need to do? What I do I need to dot? What T do I need to cross? Am I fine? Am I in heaven now? Okay, and is God at least pacified? All right, now I'm going to do my thing. In other words, we want the basic package. We don't want the fullness. What I want to touch on, and that's why this is such a dear and intimate aspect to my life, is I want to touch on the fact that You've been given something. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? Are you looking for that little flat piece of ground where you can pitch your tent and say, okay, I used it at least one degree beyond what most people do. I mean, look, I I share the gospel every now and then with people. I've led some people to the Lord. You know, I, I live a generally moral life and, you know, I have a generally okay marriage and I have a generally, you know, stable family and I have a generally okay job and a generally positive influence on others. It's like, that's a pretty impressive life I just named for you there. I mean, most people would be like, well, that's great. Well, that's great if that's all that was possible. But what if that is merely one step into an endless frontier? What if there is more to go after Would you want it is the key question. Here's what I would say. I want it. And that's what's defined my life. Everything about what I'm sharing with you right now is like the motivation behind. I mean, this was in singing. That's all it was. It was one dimension. But Eric Ludy takes this, and I'm chewing on it. I'm recognizing I was caught red-handed looking for a flat piece of ground in my singing career to say, I just want to pitch my tent. I just want to be good enough. I want to be, because I'm thinking most people don't, can't appraise a good voice from a mediocre voice. They don't know the difference between two and a half hours of training and six hours of training a day. They can't tell the difference. Most people just sort of nod along and go, oh, that's great. And yet, a professional level, someone who's a master knows exactly the difference. Who am I playing for? Am I playing for an earthly audience or am I playing for the master? See, my master in heaven knows precisely what is possible out of his student. He knows precisely where I could go. How good am I, God? How far have I gone? Uh, Eric, compared to where you could be, you sort of stink. (laughs) In other words, what my fullness is, you've only taken one step into an endless frontier. So that either discourages you. I mean, it could. It could really put you in the dumps. Or it could get you inspired. What if you knew that you're only one step into an endless frontier right now? But that is one step further than 99.99% of the rest of the human race. Never pitch your tent. Pull up those tent stakes that you have the propensity to stick down and say, okay, I think we're good enough. What we're looking for is rest. But it's not a God rest. It's a man rest. We don't want to just keep going at this pace. We don't want to have to be diligent and industrious in our life spiritually. We want something that is just easier. I mean, the reason we go through certain seasons of 
exertion is because we dream of that vacation that it could lead to. You see, in the end, we have a heavenly rest. Right now, we have a job to do. We have one shot at this thing called life. One go. And we are going to look back on this one shot that we had for all of eternity. I say, let's do it right. Uh, Scott, how good am I? That's on the screen. For all those via podcast, they're like, what's that? Uh, that's just a reference back. The principle of the endless frontier, never pitch your tent. So what this led to is a breakdown of two thoughts in my life, and that is two types of people of how you approach life. There are those that are pioneers and those that are settlers. And so in every situation, like say we're in early America, the, you know, the colonies, and you have the Mississippi River, but everything you know, west of the Mississippi is unknown territory. It's like needs to be explored. But most of us have a tendency to say, okay, well, you go explore it, and you give a map back to me. And when I know that all is clear, when I know that all is safe, then I'll consider bringing my family out there. We want someone else to be the map maker. We want someone else to take the risk. And so one of my charges to my own soul back then was, am I willing to take the risk in this generation and go where no one else in my generation is willing to go? Am I willing to take the risk of looking like the fool, but to do that which God is inspiring inside of me? That's scary. It is. To be a pioneer is where all the risk is. You're the one that has to face if there's unknown trials out there. There could be bad guys out there. There could be diseases out there. The world could just end and you fall off it. In other words, you don't know. It hasn't been explored. And so as a result, God calls on us as Christians to not pitch our tent, to not settle, but to keep going, to keep progressing. You know the ones that change a generation? It's the map makers. It's the ones that say, look what God did in my life. Look, no, if you keep following him, this is what you'll find. He is faithful. He is true. We bear witness of that which is across the Mississippi. We bear witness of the fact that there is a good land out there. How will anyone know unless someone goes? We represent a generation where previous generations have stalled. And we've lost the maps. Oh, we have the ancient maps. You read those old biographies of George Mueller and people say, well, that's way back then. You read the old biographies. uh, How about Fox's Book of Martyrs? Oh, that's way back then. And yet, it's the same stuff. But we need someone who's willing to rise up today and model it. Someone who's willing to say, look at my life and you will see what God is willing and can do in and through a man or a woman of God. So here's where my first application came. Leslie was coming into my life right at this time. We were actually training with Scott. It's some good stories uh, in there. And so she knows Scott very well as well. We both laugh uh, heartily over Scott. And Scott is still one of our our close, dear uh, friends in our life. Uh, But I remember having the thought, what if I went after having the greatest marriage in the history of the world? Okay, you see the difference in in, in the change of that? As opposed to, what if I went after just having a godly marriage? As opposed to, what if I went after having the world's greatest marriage? See, one is like just playing high school sports. The other is Olympic Games. And that's the mentality I want you to catch. 
I want you to recognize that you have been given something and you could either aim low with it or you could aim high with it. So could you imagine if all of us caught the vision of having the world's greatest marriage and we're in competition with each other for the gold? And it's like, how many hours a day are you training? And could you imagine Scott saying, that'll take six hours a day. Six hours? Who has six hours a day to train for marriage? Those that want to be the best. It's like, what do you say to that? You see, you know that there's dimensions in our life that get hardly any attention because the world doesn't applaud them. The world doesn't applaud you laboring and waiting uh, and believing and praying. Eh. There's no benefit in that. They're not going to go, oh, well done. They're not going to pat you on the back. The things that matter most are oftentimes unseen. You know, it's interesting. Olympic athletes, they'll train for years just to have that one moment on the stage, you know, on the platform where they can mouth the words of the national anthem and everyone's crying. It's a, it's a good moment, right? We as Christians oftentimes labor for things and there's no platform in this world. That's interesting. That's one of the reasons why we fail to move in those directions. However, if you want to say it this way, there is still a platform in heaven. The audience of one, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of, I think it was called the applause of one. And it's the, it's the story of the man who lived his life radically for Jesus down here and basically was ostracized because of it. And the way he chose to live looked so foolish to the world. And when he died, you know, he had a, he had a, there were people that were influenced by him, but in the, in the overall scope of things, you would say, what a waste of a life. I mean, this guy lived in a generation that didn't want what he had. But then he arrives into heaven, and there's this mighty throng, and it shocks him as he arrives, and everyone's on their feet clapping. And he's like, what is this? And they're patting him on the shoulder, well done, well done. And they know his name. It's like, at first she's thinking, do they even know who I am? I mean, I, they must mix me up with someone because I, I'm a nobody. No one ever appreciated me down on earth. Well done. He's walking through and suddenly the crowd begins to part and everyone silences. It's like a hush except for one singular clap. And as the crowd parts, he sees one, Jesus. Tears streaming down Jesus' face. And when he sees his servant, he runs to him, puts his arm around him and whispers in his ear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. So when I hear a story like that, it's like, okay, yeah, I want that. I I, I really want that. Well, Eric, would you be willing to trade the applause of this world for that one applause? How important is that applause to you, Eric? Pretty important. All right. What would you be willing to give up to get it? All right. All right, God, I see where you're going with this. Yeah. I really do want the applause of earth. I mean, I want people to esteem me. I want people to like me. But to get that, my answer is yes. I'll give up this earth to get that. Okay, that's how a Christian reasons. So when we train for the Olympics, we're training for the Olympics. It's like the little drummer boy who plays his best for the newborn king. It's that form of givenness, to give your best for Jesus to give your best, to seek the highest, to have the greatest marriage. And what would it be like if both a man and a woman in marriage were seeking every day to say, God, take me deeper, onward, upward. I don't want to pitch my tent in marriage. I want us to be better at communication. I want to be, I want to be better in understanding who they are. I want to be better in remembering them throughout the day. There's so many things that we settle for in marriage, even good marriages. 
And the propensity is just there to say, look, I'm, I'm better than Chuck down the street. This is how almost every guy reasons when his wife says, I just, I just feel that you know, we could have this in our marriage. Hey, will you stop complaining? We have a perfectly fine marriage. Okay, that just gave you insight into most homes around the world right there. In other words, the woman has a desire for more. And the man wants to say, look, I'm fine. I'm giving you something better than everyone else is getting. And what we want to avoid at all costs, as if it is a plague, is that mentality. We want to say, I want to go further. I want to go onward. I want to go upward. There's an endless frontier that awaits. What am I pitching my tent stakes for? I desire the fullness. Family. So not just marriage, but what if we had this attitude in family? I want to cultivate this in my kids. I want my kids to be the strongest kids this generation has ever seen. I don't want to just compare myself with even other families throughout history. I want to go beyond. I want to go further, onward, upward. I'm going to pull up my tent stakes. Let's find something that no one has ever found before. Ministry. What if you took these ideas and transcended these different dimensions? There are so many things in life that will dull this pursuit. Everything that I'm saying right now, oh, wow. The enemy will fight against it and just say, just give up. You know, the more you try and press forward, the more battles you find. So there's a lot of good reasons to be a settler, guys. A lot. However, a generation is needing inspiration. A generation is needing a model. You're being invited in to be a pioneer. So the uh, Japanese word kaizen, you guys ever heard that? I was in a business class and we learned kaizen. We watched a whole video on the Japanese principle of kaizen, which means constant improvement. And the, the, the video was basically saying, you want to know why the Japanese are beating the Americans uh, in industry and in development? It's because of kaizen. They believe in constant improvement. I remember thinking, that's endless frontier. What? And so, but before the Japanese had kaizen, by the way, everyone thinks the Japanese invented Kaizen. Come on. Uh, God invented sanctification. You see, sanctification is God's model. You know that every plant, you take a, vi a vine that bears fruit, right? Grapes. And you know that the entire principle of the endless frontier is found in a vine. And the Father is the vine dresser, and Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. And when we graft ourselves into him, we gain life. That sap enters into us. Now, the sap is entering into us, and what does it want to do? It wants to express the fullness of the vine. The fullness is what it wants. However, it comes out in small ways, little buds, little fruit. And so the vine dresser, who cares about seeing the fullness come out of that branch, will prune it. He will cleanse the vine, which is the very word for sanctify in Scripture, is to cleanse and is to prune and so as a result, what we see is the entire idea of cleansing a vine so that it could bear more fruit, richer fruit. And until that fruit is so heavy, it takes two men to carry out a cluster of the, of the grapes that are, that are coming off of that branch. It's not done. There is something so much further. When we go to the store and we pick up some grapes, they are pathetic next to the type of grapes God builds on his saints. And so we have settled oftentimes for small grapes in Christianity because they're bigger than chucks down the street. I mean, Chuck has, you know, he's hardly any grapes. They're not that impressive. Look, I mean, I at least have a little cluster here. And yet, that's playing high school sports instead of aiming for the Olympics. You've been entrusted with something. The question is, what are you going to do with it?
Just a few scriptures that have always, uh, not a few scriptures, a few quotes that have always been uh, a blessing in this. And this is like a, uh, a review. In fact, I heard Nathan yesterday when he was on stage uh, at the celebration uh, time quote one of these too that I already had in my notes for today. And so I was like, oh, that turkey. He just took a good quote for today. Uh, Oswald Chambers says, the proof that we have the vision is that we are reaching out for more than we have grasped. It is a bad thing to be satisfied spiritually. Isn't that a strange thing? It sort of bothers you even to hear a quote like that because it's like, well, we are supposed to be content. Yeah, we are. We're contented in Christ with a desire for more. Isn't that weird? That when we truly have the Spirit of God within us, we crave a greater depth of intimacy. In other words, you could say, tell, I, could, I could say, tell me about the five weeks. He's, oh, so good. It was a really rich time. And God so satisfied me in that time. So is that all you want? Are you done? No, I want more. Well, how could you? Say, you just told me you were satisfied, and now you're telling me you want more? Because that's how the Spirit of God works. It's like, yeah, you're bearing fruit. Praise God. But I want bigger fruit. Isn't that interesting? It's the propulsion of the spirit of grace within us. It's the vine dresser caring for us. It's what the sap inside of us desires. I want to reveal the fullness of what a grape can be. I want to reveal something in this natural realm. I just need a branch who will allow me to come through and exhibit the fullness of life. We've got some grapes to give to the world. Let's make them big and round and robust. This is the movement of grace in our life. Andrew Murray, here's the quote that Nathan stole yesterday. Where's Nathan? He's like hiding when I get to this point. You will ask me, are you satisfied? Have you got all you want? God forbid. With the deepest feeling of my soul, can I say that I'm satisfied with Jesus now? But there is also the consciousness of how much fuller the revelation can be of the exceeding abundance of his grace. Let us never hesitate to say, this is only the beginning. Let us never hesitate to say, I've only taken one step into an endless frontier. I don't know how you respond to a message like this. I know how I do. I mean, I could go back in my life, whatever that is, 28 years, and say, "Uh, that was a key moment in my life. Just this thought. There's more. But Eric, what are you willing to do to get it? God, I want what you have to give. I don't want one drop of the shed blood of Jesus to go wasted and unsavored. I want to catch it all. And then when you begin to recognize what it costs, Eric, do you recognize to have this fullness, you need to give up your life. You need to relinquish the applause of earth in order to get that applause of heaven. Are you willing so I don't want to answer for you. I could give you my answer. You already know it. Yes, Lord. I'm willing to exchange the pleasures of this earth for the pleasures of heaven. Yes, Lord. I'm willing to give up the applause of man for the applause of my God. I want more. But not for my sake. For his sake. I want the fullness. If he has given us talents of gold, grace, What are we doing with it? You see, there's different gradients. Some people just bury it. Some people play high school sports. Some people go on and become professional. 
Some people aim for the Olympics. If that was the gradient spiritually, which I don't know that God would use the same terminology for what we are to aim for, right? But we want a full maturity. We want to grow up under the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's what we want. That's the Olympics in the spiritual side. You know, I don't, I don't want just George Mueller. I want Jesus to be revealed in my life. In other words, I highly regard George Mueller, but I want more than George Mueller to be revealed in my life. Because George Mueller was merely a follower of something greater. I don't want to just be C.T. Studd. I mean, it would be great. And I'd love that name. That would be a cool name to have. I want Jesus to be revealed in my life. In other words, it's not even the greats of history past that we attempt to be like. It's Jesus that we're aiming for. And when you aim that high, the world will, in fact, be changed. Father, I ask that you would demonstrate your power in our lives. Lord, we submit to you with expectation. Lord, thank you for inviting us into this grand and epic drama. I pray that you would inspire us this morning. Stir within us this morning. Grip us with your grace. And may we not be able to forget this idea. But may we cry into our souls, pull up those tent stakes, onward march. Lord, I pray that the fullness of the God life would be realized in us, that that sap would have full access to us to press forth into this world those grapes, those grapes of grace. Lord Jesus, thank you for the special five weeks that we've had together, and I pray that you would go before and behind these students as they take their next step forward. Lord, I pray that it would be strong, that their gaze would be fixed on you, that they'd be resolute in seeking after you. Lord, it's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.